Welcome to That Mom Life. I'm Sarah Jordan. And today I am so excited to welcome my friend, Jenny Strobel. Now, Jenny and I, I'm trying to think of how long I've known you now, but this is one of those cases where our jobs intersect because I work in the radio industry, you work in the record label industry, and I don't necessarily know if people realize how much our jobs truly are working together all the time. (laughs) Yes, I get to pester you and um, you get bombarded by me. (laughs) That is, I mean, and, and we'll dive into this as we go. I just like to always intro the podcast with like how we know somebody. And sometimes it's from somebody else or this or that. But you and I got the pleasure of working together because you work for Epic Records and Louisville was your region. And so you would come in when I was running a different radio station, of course, talk about all your artists. And you're a fellow young female, which in your industry, I feel like is a lot more rare. So naturally, it was just like, I'm going to be friends with her. (laughs) Yes. Yes. No, we had a great connection right off the bat. And I think we've known each other for like seven years now, which is a long time in the work industry. Oh, Lord. You're right. You know what? You're 100% right because I haven't even been with that station doing that now for almost three years. So then prior to the, like being with that station doing that, yeah, it's been a minute. So um, Jenny, I'm so excited to talk to you. And so just as a little preview, yes, this is the fun part where Jenny gets to walk me through her entire life, including her career, including those touches with greatness, and now, of course, becoming a mom. So Jenny, you were born in Dallas, Texas, correct? Yes. Yeah, I was. Now, are you an only child or do you have siblings? No, I have two siblings. Uh, My brother is like 18 months younger than me. And then my sister is eight years younger than me. And my parents actually adopted her from China. So, (gasps) yeah. So we have that. That's incredible. Yeah. So really cool. Um, We're we're close. Um, And she and then we like grew up like on this little ranch in Texas. And we had like horses and ducks and chickens and like all this stuff. So it was like a whole little growing up. So I didn't expect to stop here so soon. So (laughs) you are then you're, you're very close in age to your brother. You guys were probably what one year apart in school then. Yeah. uh, We were two grades apart. Yeah. See, my sister and I are 18. I have two older sisters, but my um, one sister and I are 18 months apart, but not even 18 months apart. So we're only one grade separated. And my, my two kids, my son missed the cutoff for his birthday. So they're, back-to-back years too. So it's a lot different being super close in age and then having a significant gap because my son and my baby are almost seven years apart. And I mean, what was it like to grow up being that much older than your youngest sibling? I mean, I looked out for her, but we didn't have like a ton in common at the same time. So yeah, I mean... I feel for her. I wish we would have been able to do more together, but we really were at like different places in our life, you know? Oh, um, until you're both adults. I feel like right. in school, it's just, there's nothing a 16 year old and an eight year old have in common no. or a 20 year old and a 12 year old, not until she's like 21 and you're 29. Does that make sense again? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, and it's like now we're closer, but it's like, then COVID happened and I, and she works in, um, like a restaurant. So it's like, I haven't hung, I feel like I haven't hung out with my sister in over a year. So, <laughs> so when all I, I have to, I have to go into, cause I've never actually spoken. No, I have talked. I have spoken to my kid's pediatrician actually went to China and also adopted her fourth. Oh, wow. So was that a goal of your parents to be, to always adopt? My parents wanted a third baby and my mom didn't want to like physically have a baby. So they looked into adoption and there's like 
a million rules about like all these countries and how old you have to be. And my dad was like early forties at the time. And so he couldn't be considered for adoption in a lot of countries because they wanted young parents, um, which is so interesting because it's like you're more stable when you're older typically. But um, so anyways, China was like one of the countries they were approved to adopt from. So my mom went over there for like two weeks and, you know, then came back with my sister. So and my sister was older, too. She was um, 22 months when my parents adopted her. Now, was everything um, and I bring this up because, again, the only other person I've met that um, has adopted somebody, they had forged some of the adoption papers. So their daughter was not in the condition in which they said when they went there, was everything okay with your sister when they went to go get her? Yes. Yeah. There were no surprises with that. Um, But I mean, it was like there was definitely language barriers and, you know, it was not like the easiest couple of weeks for my mom and she had to go basically alone. She went with other families, but um, my dad was like at home with us. So she like really did it on her own. Oh my. So your mom flew across the entire world to go pick up her new baby. Yeah. Yeah, nice. okay. I like your mom. Your yeah. mom is a sassy woman, and I like that. She is, she is sassy, yes. So at what point then did you move to Georgia? We moved to Georgia in 96. My dad works in the music industry, too. He actually worked for Epic Records at the time. He spent like 33 years with them. But in 96, he uh, became a national for Epic, and they moved him to Atlanta. He had a choice between Chicago and Atlanta, and we're not into winter in this family. So he chose <laughs> Atlanta. Um, and he is originally from Atlanta, so he, his parents were here, too. I, again, I've known you now for seven years. I had no idea. You're almost like a little dynasty over there with (laughs) Epic Records. It's so crazy, though, because growing up, like, I never talked to him about going into this industry. I knew it was really hard to get into, and there were very few spots. And so I was just, like, not worried about it. I was like, I'm just going to go do my own thing. And we never had a conversation about it. Even though I thought his job was cool, I just didn't really think it was, like, attainable. So did you grasp what your dad did growing up as far as, I mean, if he got all the way up to the national level, he was clearly a big deal and he was there for 33 years. So did, did, was there anything about your childhood that was like normal to you, but looking back now you realize, oh wait, other people don't do that at all. (laughs) Yes. I got so jaded and it's funny because, you know, we would get to meet all these stars growing up and like Gloria Estefan and Pearl Jam and Incubus and like all these, you know, artists as a kid that you're just, you know, like I met Michael Jackson when I was a toddler. Um, what? Yeah. And, and I like hung out with like Ozzy Osbourne's kids backstage and stuff like that. But I was not like starstruck because of that. And so when I became a teenager and I was like going to concerts without my dad and stuff, like I just wanted the backstage passes so I could like use the nice bathroom. <laughs> so this is what I'm talking about. Like you growing up didn't even realize that like backstage passes were very hard to come by. They're expensive. <laughs> most kids aren't going to concerts or meeting celebrities. And most people I would say by the age of 25, 30 have probably never met a celebrity before. <laughs> yeah. And we would get like free CDs, you know, when CDs were like the way people listen to music. Um, and so I would have like all my friends like hitting me up for free CDs and all this stuff. And 
back in the day, like record labels would like trade CDs. So you could have all the stuff you wanted to listen to. So we, I constantly had friends being like, can your dad get this CD and this CD? And, you know, it was really funny looking back on it. What was one of your, do you have like a favorite memory from a concert with your dad or an experience that you had with an artist growing up? You know, I can't recall anything specifically, but like I have this most amazing picture with Michael Jackson and I'll send it to you. And I'm like two and a half years old and just like hanging out with him backstage. And um, there were no like creepy experiences. I know people think of Michael and they think like, oh, something weird must have happened. But it was never like that. Like my dad was really close with him. Um, and, you know, I, I met a lot of people, but I can't recall like anything where I was super jaded. I mean, my dad likes to tell this story when I was like a toddler about how we were backstage with Joan Jett and she was like, what did you do today? And I was like, oh, we cleaned poop out of the horse stalls. And he was like, oh my God, you just told Joan Jett that we cleaned up horse shit today. (laughs) You know what though? I feel like they get so probably bored of BS answers and the constant people just trying to schmooze them to get just a normal, real answer of people doing normal, real things. I have to imagine is refreshing. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And it's like, you know, back in the 90s, like Mandy Moore was really cool. I remember meeting her and she was super nice. Um, I would love to meet her. Yeah, she's like really sweet. Um, and she was only like a couple years older than me. But I just remember thinking she was really cool and pretty and stuff like that. So it was like a lot of little experiences like that, you know, over the years. Um that's such a, I mean, I mean, growing up like that, again, you don't realize that it's not normal for you or it's not normal for other kids to what was normal for you. I feel like until you probably even got out of school or you're right, you're a teenager and you're looking back going, huh, that wasn't normal. <laughs> no, it wasn't normal. And it's like, I got to have all these experience that, you know, people can't even buy sometimes, you know, I got to be like front row at a Shakira concert. And, and, and that's really strange too, because now I'm working a Shakira record. So it's like full circle. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, it's, it's, it was really neat to be able to like go and share that with my dad. And then when I went into the industry, my dad was like brought back in an epic to like kind of help train me. So it's like we worked really close together for a while. You know, that's an amazing experience. I don't, I mean, you hear people of sometimes following in their parents' footsteps. Usually it's probably for a family run business or taking something over like that. But being able to do that with your dad, I just feel like is incredible. Yeah, it's really special. We're really close because of it too. Like more close, I think, than we would have been. Um, but yeah, it's it's been nice working with him. So, and now he works for like a really cool like indie label called Cobalt. So he's stepped away from the really big machine into a a smaller machine. Yeah. Yeah. One that's like super into artist development and they have a different structure than like, you know, one of the big labels. That makes sense. So when you decided to go to college, is that when you decided to head and follow in your dad's footsteps or did you go towards something else originally? No. So originally I wanted to be like a writer for magazines and TV and stuff like that. 
Um, and then I realized quickly that I would make no money doing that probably. Um, and so I ended up um, taking like a film class at UGA and University of Georgia. And I got super into that. And so I was like, okay, I wanted to go into film and, and I'll keep this journalism degree too. And I wanted to do casting for movies and TV. Well, then I graduated in 2008, which is when the economy completely crashed. And there were no jobs. And so I was like, I mean, I did a zillion different things. Like I managed a restaurant for a while. I um, was like a liquor promo girl for Jim Beam. Um, then I started working at Star 94, which is a radio station in Atlanta. I was like a receptionist and an assistant. And then I went like super weird. And I went and like did sales at a print and design company. And then I went and worked for this um, really small airline and was like their marketing manager. And I did media buying and press release writing and like all this random stuff. It's really good experience. Um, and I had a really intense boss. So I think that kind of gave me like thicker skin. Uh, and then I ended up at this great little company called Ticket Alternative, which is like a competitor to Ticketmaster. Uh, and they had this website called Atlanta Music Guide. So I would help write like concert reviews and like manage a little team of photographers and writers. And that's when Epic ended up reaching out to my dad and they were like, Hey, like we see that your daughter's worked at a radio station and now she's working at Ticket Alternative and Atlanta Music Guide. Like, would she be interested in coming on board at Epic? And what's really interesting is I basically replaced my dad because three years before that they had let him go because he was like one of the few people who like still had a pension in the business and they were kind of like uh, restructuring. Um, and so they didn't have anybody in the South at Epic for a while. And so I came in and basically, you know, took his job, but he, he was doing other things then. Um, and so I came on board and my dad ended up kind of like helping train me. Uh, and we worked really closely together for like a year. So, so let me ask you this. So did your dad ever deter you from going into the industry or was he excited to welcome you in? Uh, it was a bit of both. Like he will talk about how he really didn't know if he wanted me to go. Like he didn't even know if he wanted to share that with me at the time, because this is like a strangely stressful job. Um, it's super fun, but it's like, it's like a sales job and you have goals to me and there's pressure. Um, so it's like, you know, it's a lot of personal stress and it was prior to COVID. It was a lot of traveling and being on the road. Um, and that's hard on a family life too. So he he had very mixed feelings about it, but then he told me like what the salary was and it was a nice increase from what I was making. And I was like, all right, well, I'm giving this a shot anyway. <laughs> and I hope it works out. And um, it has, you know, I had some like interesting bosses over the years and it's been like a little bit of a wave, but right now I'm in a really good place and I had a great maternity leave and super supportive bosses. So it, it was a good choice. 
I mean, honestly, I can feel like, I mean, just even what I've seen of the record label industry from working with you guys, the hardest part about more so the record industry than even in the radio is that it's not a nine to five job. No. Not something that simply stops and starts. It's not Monday through Friday. It's not always in one place. I mean, I've been fortunate enough to not have to bounce around the country for different jobs. But I mean, with your job specifically, you have to travel a lot, which yeah. you're 100% right. I mean, you guys travel all the time. And I mean, when you have a family, it's hard. And as you know, of being in this industry around the record label industry, you don't actually find a lot of females necessarily that have big families and have right. planted like roots and stuff like that. So I feel like you're slightly an anomaly in that way, because one, you're in the city that you spent a lot of your life in Georgia, you have a family, you've had a maternity leave, you're young, and you haven't had to give up any of those things. No. Mm -mm. And like, in a nutshell, what I do is my job is to take our artists and their projects that like Epic Records has signed and help get them airplay on the radio. And I work a lot of different radio formats. So I work like Hot AC, which is like a little bit of a softer pop station. You can probably explain it better than me, Sarah. But um, and then I work like Top 40 and Rhythmic, which is like hip hop and alternative. And so I have all these different formats and I have relationships in a region in each of those formats. And so I'm trying to get like our new songs and artists on each of those stations in my region. And then once they're on the radio, I'm trying to get them to number one on the chart. And to a listener, that's like when you hear a song and you've heard it a hundred times that week, that's our goal is for you to hear that song a hundred times a week on the radio station. Well, and uh, you and I talked about this before we started. I don't think people realize how long it takes to break an artist because by the time you're right, you hear that song a hundred times on the radio and you're like, Oh my God, why are they playing this song so much? <laughs> You've probably been working that record over six months yes. minimum. Yes. Yeah. So the amount of work it takes to get there, it takes so much time to break an artist. And I know, I mean, you know it more, much more intimately than I do. One of the coolest things I feel like I've gotten to watch since I've been in the industry now going on, this is my 15th year, which is insane in itself, is like knowing that Justin Bieber was 15 once doing one of our little shows and he was a yeah. nobody or Katy Perry was sitting in my studio and I told her, I think you got a hit on your hands. And that was before I kissed a girl came out like those specific moments, Ed Sheeran playing no diggity on a ukulele in our conference room being like, Hey, my name's Ed Sheeran. Like those moments I feel like have to be some of the most redeeming qualities of your job. Right. It's such like a, an amazing feeling when you've been like working to get a song on a station and it's a tough station to get a song on and then you hear it in the car and what's even cooler is if you're in the car and like the artist is with you like I had a great big world like say something and I was on the road with them and they got to hear their song like in the car for one of the first times and it's like that's when you're like wow I did this and they get to see it you know or hear it um so it is really cool and it's like Megan Trainer. It's like one of those really cool experiences where we got all about that bass and we were like, this is such an oddball song, but it's neat. So we're going to put it out there and see what people think of it. And then like three weeks later, I'm like in the car driving Megan, you know, to a station and she's like, hey, can I sit in the back and like jam on my ukulele? And I'm like hearing her write songs like in the car. 
So it's, it's like a lot of really neat experiences and beyond just getting songs on the radio, like we take all these artists around to do like lounges and events with stations. And that's the fun part. Like when I get to come and hang out with you guys and we like put on a show for the listeners, like that's like what really makes the job cool. And those are those are honestly some of my favorite moments too. the um, radio promo tours. Again, you guys hit the pavement so hard in your region to get these celebrities known by doing those radio shows and stuff like that. Again, you're getting them more known throughout the process, which is so much fun to watch in general. And actually, Megan is one of the few celebrities I've gotten to talk to in the past 12 months. I actually did an Instagram live with her for the radio station back in like, April and her and I were like chattering back and forth and oh my God, she wasn't pregnant yet. I wish <laughs> I could talk to her again. Cause I would talk to her forever. Jenny, I have a new so goal for you. you. If I could get 20 minutes with Megan to put her on the podcast, like she is one of the coolest, most friendly people. And, and she's hilarious. And she's like she's sassy and she's like kind of like naughty too, which I don't think people realize, but she's got this like little side of her. That's like, hilariously naughty. <laughs> I think that's why I find her like a kindred spirit in a way. When I did do the Instagram live with her, I was like, Oh, I've got a lot more in common with her. Cause I could see where her little things were coming out. And I've seen a lot of her interviews she's done since then, but it, she's very funny. I mean, that's, those are one of the, um, the perks of my job as well is when you give us the opportunity to be able to have a relationship with some of these artists, even though they probably will not remember us whatsoever, but we feel like we made friends with them. Like I feel like Megan's probably my friend now. She did follow me on Instagram. So maybe that's something. No, um, Megan and you would definitely be friends. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing is, is that I know that people love to say that people think, Oh, I stream my music. I get it on YouTube or I'm listening it over here. But like, I don't think people realize, how much radio still comes into play when it comes to actually breaking that artist. Yeah, it's still the number one like discovery tool for new yes. music. Um, and it's like when, when you have radio airplay, there's a lot of things that correlate to that. Like usually it leads to a drive in streams. It leads to Shazam's going up. Um, and it really like helps their whole entire picture. Which is something that I always remind people when I'm ever like at a college class or talking to somebody and I'm like, do you realize? And you start pulling out all those stats <laughs> like, yeah. hey, we're still over here. Yeah, you can go listen to that song on YouTube or Spotify or stream it whenever you want to. But guess where you heard it first? Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, radio like really helps cultivate like some of the most popular songs out there. Okay. I'm going to finish up with your career because you just, and I usually don't, I guess I do spend this much time on most people's career. You just have one that is so not the average bear that, I mean, I could talk to you for hours just about this, but since you grew up in the industry, you had amazing experiences of your own. I know you just mentioned a great big world in Megan Trainer. Are there any other artists or experiences with artists? Like you said, hearing a great big world, hear their song on the radio like that, or Megan playing in the backseat. Are there any other artists that you think like in your mind, this will be always something that I remember or a story I tell I mean, my kids someday? Yes. Like I did weeks on the road with Fifth Harmony and I was like, me, I'm like five, five, and I'm driving five girls around, plus their managers, plus some of the moms, and like a 12 passenger van. I'm like, who let me do that? 
first of all. <laughs> and I have all these girls and it's like, there's glam in the morning and there's hair and makeup. And they were all so sweet. Honestly, I can't say enough nice things about them. They were really sweet. Um, and I'm like having to juggle like them being on time and getting them to a radio station. And so I like learned working with them and a lot of artists that like when I say we need to be downstairs at like 7.30 a.m., I should say we need to be downstairs at 7 a.m. Um, but they were hilarious and they were funny. And I could see like each one of them was probably going to be a breakout star at some point. Um, and then we ended up keeping Camila and she is one of the sweetest. But like all of those girls were fun to work with. And we worked with their projects for a long time before we got like worth it and work from home and, you know, all these great songs. So that was a really cool experience. Um, I also got to go on the road with like Zara Larson, who's one of my favorite artists to work with. And she's like politically outspoken and super engaging in women's rights. And like, I spent time on the road with her and her mom and I got to hear like mother daughter bickering and like, you know, for a little while, they like become your little family on the road and it's, it's fun and you have these cool dynamics. Well, there's something to be said about a good old fashioned road trip in the yeah. sense that when you're stuck in a car with people handling high stress situations, seeing people the, the very first thing in the morning before they're ready or the very last person they see before they go to bed and you remind them what time they have to be up in the morning, you get a different side of people. And I mean, and you're doing those road trips or you were constantly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there were times where I was on the road for like two weeks. So. Yeah, that is, I, <laughs> I can't imagine. I mean, how do you handle that? from a keeping your sanity level of just not being home, living out of a suitcase, eating out all the time? Um, you know, in the beginning, it was really exciting because you're like going on the road and you're getting to eat at nice restaurants and, you know, sleep in nice hotel rooms. Um, and, and I still really enjoy that part. Like I would do anything for a hotel room and a glass of wine inside a restaurant right now. Um, that's just that we could have peace and quiet. I'm pretty sure I would have a hotel room just for myself at this point. (laughs) Kidding. I'm really thinking about booking a hotel room soon for myself. Um, but yeah, I mean, it it was hard, but it wasn't because we didn't have a baby at the time. My husband and I are like pretty independent. Um, But after you do like seven days of like concerts, like I went to probably like four Travis Scott concerts in seven days while I was pregnant. That was tough. (laughs) I'm like, I'm sober. I'm at a Travis Scott concert and I have three more days of this. Like that was hard. But for the most part, like it was pretty fun. Um, I think the hard part was like, even though you would be out till midnight at a concert, you still have to wake up the next morning at seven and like do your normal job, which is calling these radio stations and partnering and working with them to get your music played. So see, that's the thing I'm talking about. Like the nature of your industry is not nine to five, but it's like your quote unquote office work is nine to five, but then you've got all of the radio promo tour stuff. Then you have to include travel times and then you're doing concerts and meet and greets. I mean, you're around, you're going until 1am. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of late nights when we can travel and have concerts and all that stuff. Um, and you so, you just kind of juggle it for a little while and then you come home and you crash for a little bit and then you do it again. So how did you meet your husband 
during all of this? So did you meet him before you got this job or while you had this job? I met him right before I got this job. Um, well, I actually, let me rewind. I met him a couple years before we started dating through mutual friends. Um, I like a baseball game and he asked me out a couple times, but I was like dating different people. And so I kind of blew him off. <laughs> and then we ended up connecting uh, right before I, right when I started at Epic and then we started dating and, you know, from there, everything fell into place, but we knew each other for a little bit. So and how he, long did you guys, sorry, like go a, ahead. He has like a very normal job. Like he works in packaging for Georgia Pacific and he's in sales. So like our industries are not related at all. And I would assume since you met him before you got this job, your job has never been a problem for him because it's always been there. Yes. Yeah. No, he was cool with like me being super independent. And I think that kind of like helped make our relationship work is that we were kind of like on our own schedules and, and that sort of thing. So again, your job is far more glamorous than mine is. Um, (laughs) But in, when I met my husband, I was already in radio and a mutual friends hooked us up on a blind date. And I remember when we went out on the date, um, I had voice tracked a weekend shift and he was like, what do you do for a living? And of course he was listening to the radio station and I was like, Oh, well that's me. And his response was, okay, cool. And like <laughs> has never once question my job when I'm working, what hours I'm working, like the crazy things I've done flying across the country to do different things that I've done occasionally. Like he has always been the most supportive, but his job is so different from mine. Like he manages an optical practice and has been in the optical industry his entire career. Like which, but for me, I need somebody to have a normal job next to my crazy job. So I feel like you're probably the same way because I can't imagine if both of us were in this industry. No. And I like, I told my husband, you know, when I started, you know, when we moved in together and all that stuff, I'm like, when I travel and I come home, like, I don't want to do anything for a couple of days. Like, I want to eat dinner at home. I want to chill out. And, you know, I don't want to be around a bunch of people because it's like, you're on 24 seven when you're on the road. And so it's like, I need that downtime to kind of like reset. So that was kind of like my one thing with him is like, I'm coming home to chill. We're not having an exciting weekend. <laughs> and your idea of excitement is like, I was just at a Travis concert, Travis Scott concert four times this week. I'm excited out. Pajamas sound great. <laughs> yeah. It's like Netflix and chill. Like for real, that's what we're doing. <laughs> so how long did you guys date before you got engaged? We dated a little less than two years before we got engaged and he proposed in Napa and we had a really cool like proposal. And um, then we got married, like just, I want to say like 11 months after that. So um, Napa is wonderful. And I'm, yeah. I'm sure that was beautiful. <laughs> yeah. I, Cause you've been out there for like bottle rock or whatever it's called. Right. Uh, live in the vineyard. Yeah. I yeah, went out there I for heard. live in the vineyard like yeah. three different times within like two years, which was I mean, a very hard trip. <laughs> I, I have not been to that, but I've, I've told Charlie, my boss, who you know, that I would be his assistant anytime he needs one out there. <laughs> you need to go with him. Actually, the very first time I ever met him in person was at that uh, 
festival and I was on like a bus and cause they bus you around from every vineyard. And by bus, I mean like a really nice bus, not like a kid's right. bus. And the most awkward part is, I don't know. I'm remembering the story out of nowhere. That was my first time really traveling as the program director that I was in the industry. So like I knew a lot of people's names and their voices, but I knew none of their faces for the most part. But I had just had my second daughter. She was about, I guess not just, but like seven, eight months old. So I had to take my breast pump with me to Napa. Oh my and God. Awesome. I pumped, <laughs> pumped my way through Napa on a work trip with predominantly men. Oh and like, I'm over here pumping on the bus. I've got like this shawl over me. And that was the first time Charlie tried to introduce himself to me. And I got so awkward and standoffish because my boobs were out. Like I was pumping. Oh my um, God. I mean, I was covered up, but I was like, this is not how I want to meet people. But like, yeah. that was my first experience was like being pumping my way through Napa. And that was my first real work trip in which I had to pump. And I'm like labeling all the bags with like a star system for and how much wine I had had in Napa. Yeah. Did you keep it or were you like drinking wine and dumping it? (laughs) I dumped none of it because um, one of my best friend's moms is my lactation consultant. And when you have milk that has alcohol in it, you can dilute it with other milk, like completely water it down. Yeah. So it's like, if I had a glass or two, I'd be like, okay, it's fine. But if I had anything above where I felt was safe, I would label it with like four stars, like extra wine in this one. Although (laughs) honestly, I think, I think I did end up throwing them out, but yeah, that was a really weird experience to be pumping my way through Napa and then trying to make friends with people in the industry. And a lot of people that trip that I'm now really good friends with, they were like, yeah, you were kind of standoffish the first time I met you. I'm like, well, I I know. (laughs) I can't imagine. Like that sounds so uncomfortable. When I was on maternity leave, this was like right when I came back, right when like COVID had just been discovered. And I was like having all this anxiety about like, how am I going to go on the road? And how am I going to ship this back? And that was just like a nightmare to me, even trying to figure that out. So the fact that you did that in Napa while all of that was happening is amazing. So wait, how old is your son? He is 16 months now. Okay. So my daughter's 14 months. I knew we were really close to each other. So you took a longer maternity leave than I did because I went back to work on January 15th. So I was back to work less than two months before I got working from home again. So you were probably about the same time frame, were you? Yeah, I um, took a fi- Sony Music is like amazing with their maternity leave. And I had a C-section. So I got a couple extra weeks for that too. Um, but I got five months off, which was amazing. And I don't think I would have mentally been ready to go back sooner than that. Um, it was like just the right amount of time for me. So I, this, I took 12 weeks this time and it's after my third, that's the longest maternity leave I've ever had. Wow. The other two times I only took seven weeks. Oh my God. I can't even imagine. I don't know how I did it. It, I, I, I think I must've like blacked out because <laughs> I, I don't, I literally don't know how, because this time I was a wreck going back to work. My first day back to work, I remember running into the studio with Ben and Kelly and I was, I, I, before I saw my sales team, before I went to my office and they were in the middle of the morning show and I was just crying. Cause I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't want to be here, but I'm here. So how do I do this? Yeah. Um, but then I was back for less than two months and back home again. Um, so it's <laughs> worked itself out. But, um, as far as traveling while pumping, whether or not you guys choose to have another baby traveling while pumping, you end up lugging around 
a giant bag all the time, which is super heavy. And that's the worst part because not only are you carrying around your pump and your pump bag, you have to carry around a cooler cooler to keep the milk cold. But I would pump into bags because they took up less space than bottles and no washing. And then I would use, you can carry ice packs, but once ice packs lose their cool, what are you going to do? So then my hack for traveling with a breast pump is keep Ziploc bags on you, both quart sized and gallon sized. Cause if you're in an airport, you're at a gas station, no, no matter where you are, you can find ice. And so that way you can pack it down on ice and keep it with you constantly. I remember there was, I've traveled to Napa while pumping and I think I've done New York. New York once or twice while pumping. And I remember I walked an entire New York day from one side of town, like Soho to Times Square with my, with my pump bag with me. And I would just keep filling it up with ice. I used it like almost like my duffel bag, my purse. I mean, it sucks, but it is possible. (laughs) Yeah. I think it, it made me have a new appreciation for women. And it's like, we really can do everything because we're doing this on top of juggling the baby and the jobs and all of it. And it's like, we get through it and it happens, you know, but it's, it's the maternity leave thing that made me really become like personally an advocate for women. And it's like seven weeks is nothing. And it's like, you were a zombie then and you're crying in the shower when you have two minutes to yourself. And it's so hard. Um, Even when you have support from people, it's just like mentally exhausting. Like those first couple months are really hard. So women, we got to get it together for women in this country. You will eventually block out the bad parts of the first six weeks. And I think that is the uh, world's way of making you have more because truly that first six to eight weeks is survival mode. And I don't care if it's your first child, your third child, your seventh child. Every child is different. Every baby reacts differently. Your body reacts differently. And the older you get, the different your body reacts. And you can't plan for that stuff. That is the hardest part. No matter what you do, you can make a, for instance, delivery. You can make every plan in the world. This is my labor plan. But when you're in the moment, chances are that's going to get thrown out the window because you don't know what's going to happen. So, I mean, after my third baby, you're right. I think even though I had a lot of support and it was still so incredibly hard for me. And then your hormones and dealing with postpartum hormones. And I've always said, first of all, you're trying to take care of a tiny human that can do nothing for themselves and you don't know how, but the, the part that makes that so hard is trying to heal yourself. Yes. Yeah. You like really have to be gentle and easy with yourself. But it's so hard not to go and do that load of dishes or that load of laundry. And it's like, I physically couldn't sit still. (laughs) Like, my husband was like, please go and like chill out and watch TV and just get in bed with the baby. And I'm like, no, there's all this stuff that needs to be done, you know? It is hard because you do still feel all that pressure. But like at the end of the day, I've had to remind some of my new mom friends and even myself, it's like your body just went through trauma. I don't care if you had a C-section or you had a natural birth, your body just did something for 40 weeks. And then it went through probably the one of the most traumatic experiences you will ever have to do. It's going to take time for you to heal. And that's the hard part. Like, I remember when I first went to college, the very first time I got sick, I wanted to call my mom because I was like, I'm sick. I need need someone to take care of me. Well, after you have a baby, guess what? You're in recovery. (laughs) And another life form is depending on you to take care of them. And yet I still have that feeling of, but I still need to take care of me. But that's when you suddenly realize that 
in a lot of ways you've become secondary. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and that's like something moms and women and, you know, primary caregivers always have to deal with is like, sometimes you need to pause and take care of yourself to be able to like, take care of the whole picture. You know, it's, it's I could, okay. I could not agree more. And after my third, and I came back to work, that's the whole reason I started this podcast. And I know I say it a lot, but it was like, I wanted to be there for other women. I had the support system. I have supportive family. I have friends with kids. I have friends that are lactation consultants and labor and delivery nurses. Like I had people to help me to answer my questions, to do anything. I mean, literally one of my good friends is a labor and delivery nurse. Every time I had a kid, I would take my breast pump over to her, literally take off my shirt and be like, Hey, look at my boobs. Do these fit right? And I mean, like that was normal. Um, but I had those people, but so many other people, yeah. whether it's yeah. they didn't know what to expect while they were pregnant or they had a rough delivery or their newborn's difficult or they're struggling breastfeeding. There was just so many struggles and like take breastfeeding. I've exclusively breastfed all three of my children and I've had a lot of friends and lactation consultants help me along the way, but I know a lot of people that gave up very quickly and that's no, that's totally fine. Whatever works best for them. But it's like, I feel like sometimes it was just because they didn't have the right help. No, that's something you really need support in. And it's not, you, you, I took a class, but like, you think it's going to be intuitive and it's just going to work, but then you have a baby who doesn't latch well, or something doesn't fit right. And it's overwhelming and super overwhelming. And you put all this pressure on yourself. And so, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's good you're doing this because it's like women need an outlet and I'm an open book with my girlfriends. I'm like, if you have a question about this, ask it, but not everybody has that network, you know? Right. And that's what I've, I've always had that network and that's something I've tried to pay it forward. And I can tell you're that exact same way. As soon as one of my friends become pregnant, no matter, and I always tell them, I don't care what day it is, what time it is. There is no such thing as TMI. Yes. When <laughs> all of a sudden you're pregnant, because I mean, heck, when I was in labor with my third, I had my doctor, I had my nurses, and then I had the people training to become labor and delivery nurses. So I think there was like three people checking my cervix every time. Oh my gosh. Like, and then you have a rotation of nurses and I'm like, oh, we're in the next rotation. Okay. So how many people are about to see me again? Like, it just becomes one of those things where I'm like, there is... Yes, there's the pregnancy glow and you get a beautiful baby, which is one of the most amazing miracles of life. Yeah. There is nothing glamorous about no. <laughs> what no. your body goes through. It's like you enjoy all the little cuddles and all that stuff, but there's so much other stuff happening too. And it's overwhelming. Oh. <laughs> so then you and I are in a very similar boat of... You spend time on maternity leave. You have your baby. Yes. And then you hype yourself up for let's go back to work. Yeah. And then you get sent home to work from home. Yes. What has it been like for you to handle the pandemic and a new baby at home? And so to me, it's like COVID is awful, but parts of it were like a blessing because I was really trying to figure out like how I was going to juggle being on the road with a five month old. I was not ready to like leave him overnight. And I know, I know a million moms do this and it's super hard and I can empathize with it, but I was just like, how am I going to do this? How's it going to happen? And one of my bosses kept being like, you, we, we were on actually like a travel freeze when I came back. Um, and then April comes around 
or I guess it was March, March came around and he was like, you really need to book your April travel. And I'm like, yeah, but there's this COVID thing happening. Like, shouldn't we wait and see what's happening with that first? And he was like, oh, I'm sure it's going to be fine. Just like book your travel. And I like waited another day. And then it came on the news, like everything was being shut down and you can't travel. And I was like, okay, this is good. Like I'll have like a couple months break before I actually have to get on the road. I didn't know that we were going to be here one year later um, and doing this. And so it worked out in the beginning where it's like, I had my mom taking care of my son. We pay her to be our full-time nanny. um, And she would come to the house every day and watch him while I worked. Um, And then he started getting older and we don't have like a super large house. We don't have a basement or like a playroom for him. And I was like, okay, we have to figure out a new situation. So now he goes to her house because otherwise he'd be like running into my office all day long, like wanting to play. Um, but it's it's been wild. It's been like a lot to juggle, but it's been good. And I'm really fortunate that I have help from my mom full time. So, Well, I'm in a similar boat from you in that regard. So um, we built a multi-generational home here in Indiana on 12 acres. And my parents my parents are in the house and so they have like their own house. We have ours, but they're connected. And when I got my, our whole goal when we did this was to help let my dad retire early because of health reasons. And then that was, uh, so I got, I found out I was pregnant in March of 2019. And the night I found out I was pregnant, it was a complete shock and I'm freaking out. And my mom was like, Oh my gosh, what if I could be your granny nanny? And yeah. I was like, don't play. Cause that's always my first, con- like literally I'm laying there crying in shock and i'm like if it's a girl her name will be margaret we will announce it with a derby theme because that's my math tells me that's accurate and i said and then what are we going to do about child care literally that's a succession of my thoughts day one i found out well then fast forward my mom my mom retired two weeks after i had the baby and my dad retired December of 2019. So my mom, November, 2019, my dad, December, 2019. And then the pandemic hit. Well, it, for us, I mean, as far as like shutting down March, 2020. Right. So like we never clearly thought this would happen, but like we set up our lifestyle to be able to handle the pandemic together. Cause that's how we've had to do this. Like I protect my dad and my grandfather. They both live here. And so four generations of one house, they're high risk. So like our whole house has to be on red alert to protect them. Yeah. But my parents help with virtual learning, but my mom and dad help with the baby, even though now she can walk and run. So she does come into my office and I have to lock the door. Then she just beat and scream on the door. But I mean, it's just, it's amazing to have, them there. And I agree with you. I was so distraught and I don't know why I'd done it two other times before I had gone back to work. I had pumped my way through. I had traveled. I never really thought anything of it, but the third time seemed so much harder. So when I got to go back home, I remember me and my coworkers were like, I can't believe they're shutting us down for a week. What are we going to do? I'm we'll be back before the end of March. And now I'm like, I have literally, if you count you and I being home on maternity leave, we have been home now over a year, pretty much. Yeah. And that's hard too, because now it's like, I'm looking forward to like going and having dinner with someone or going, getting out of the house and having a meeting in person. You know, now it's like, I would like to have some of those things back, you know? And I think, I think this whole COVID situation will change how a lot of companies do things like maybe we won't travel quite as much because 
everybody has been pretty successful doing stuff from home. And if you haven't been successful, you're probably not there anymore. Um, so I think the travel probably won't be as heavy as it once was, but it'll still exist for sure. I think you're 100% right in the fact that the typical like go to your office from nine to five type of mentality and you have to stay in and do that. Now, not for everybody's jobs. Clearly, this only applies to some people, but like the world has learned a different way mm-hmm. and you had to to stay alive. So and to keep your company running and make money. So I do think it will forever change the landscape and how we look at a workday or where you're working from or how right. an office is set up, how you take meetings, how you travel. I mean, I totally think, I totally agree with you that this will change the way we function for a long time. And I certainly think we will forever look at things like hand sanitizer or um, hygiene differently. Yeah, it's like, I don't need to shake anyone's hand anymore. I'm good, thanks. (laughs) But I do miss hugging some people. I know, I know. I miss hugging my girlfriends so much. I agree. I miss hugging my girlfriends. And I mean, some of my coworkers, because some of them still have to go into the office here, there, and everywhere, but it's been shut down since March to the public. I'm one of the few that rarely go into the office. I think I've, I've haven't been there now in about a month at all. So I haven't seen my coworkers on anything but a zoom call in a month. So when I go see them next, my urge is to like just squeeze and hug them. But now I've gotten so used to working from home that like going to the office is out of my way. It's stalling me because all my stuff is there. All of my programs are set up differently now. Like I just can't believe it has been this long. I mean, I'm recording shows, podcasts, doing my entire job from my house. And it's just crazy. Yeah, it is. It's been like a wild journey. And I always worked at home with Epic. So for me, that wasn't like a huge shift. But the shift was like that there wasn't any travel. And, you know, that was different. And like I said, in the beginning, it was really good because I was juggling a brand new baby. But now it's like now you're like, okay, this has been long, we're ready for a change. And, and like you, I have parents, you know, my dad's a little older, too. So it's like, I'm trying to be safe. Um, and keep them safe too. So, you know, we're, we're mostly like lockdown. We'll, we'll go out to dinner sometimes, but we only eat outside. Um, and we kind of limit like hanging out with people really, which really stinks, you know, it's like we might sit around a fire pit or something, but that's kind of the extent of it. So we've essentially declared certain people in our bubble. That's what we yeah. called it now for the last year. That has been predominantly family members, older family members. Um, we are, we already have a household of nine on a day to day basis. So luckily, I mean, my kids have been home from school since last March, beginning of March. So they still have each other. They still have a large house to run and play. But I mean, my kids probably only leave the house and go inside a store probably once a month. Yeah. Same. And my baby, I mean, mean, you're, your son's experiencing the same thing. I mean, like my other kids, they were in the car every single day in their car seat. My baby doesn't like the car seat. She's in it probably once a month. Yeah. (laughs) I I do have to drive him to my mom's house. So he gets about five minutes each way, two times a day. But 
But yeah, it's so weird that like he's only been to Target like two times and I don't take him to the grocery store because either I go or my husband goes. And and it's like I finally was like, okay, he needs to have like a little interaction with other kids. And so like I have a couple friends who've been really safe. And so we've like played outside with their other, you know, toddler. But it's like it is weird that they haven't had like any baby friends. And at the same time, it's like, okay, I'm glad this is happening when he's only 16 months old versus like it's got to be a lot harder on your elementary school kids. You know, and that's the thing is that my my son was starting first grade this year. My daughter was starting kindergarten. So, yes, they went to preschool in a classroom, a very traditional classroom. Um but this was supposed to be her big moment and catching the bus and going into the classroom. And I remember when we had to make the difficult choice to send them virtually because our school district has most of the year had the option of being in person. I cried for days yeah. and because I was like, but I want her to have this experience. So I'm happy my kids are as young as they are because I feel yeah. like the older they get, the more resent they would have because they know what they're missing. Right. Yeah. And you're right. My, our babies, they're not going to remember this. No, Mm-mm. they're going to see it. They're going to see it in history class at some point and be like, mom, were you, you're old. You'll remember this, right? Yes. Yes. I'm old. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I think about how we'll be like telling them about this time in life one day. And that's trippy too. Oh, I, I'm scared of that. Like, I don't want to, um, <laughs> yeah. I'm reminded of Hamilton, like with history has its eyes on you. Yeah. And I have never felt that more than on, than right now than I think the only other thing that you and I could probably compare it to is 9/11. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. this will be one of those moments. Yeah, it's been a very traumatic year and that forced me to to kind of like reevaluate like I always voted in the past, but this year I was like, no, like I want to get more involved in stuff. Like I really care because I'm not worried about just my future anymore. Like I have another little person who I'm worried about his future, you know? Um, And so that was like very enlightening this year too, for this past year. Watching it go down. (laughs) You know? So, yeah, it's been it's been a crazy time, but we're all hanging in there and it's a hard time. I mean, there's been a lot of lives lost and and that's, you know, almost everybody I know knows somebody close to their family who has lost somebody. And I just hope we can get our, our country and people healthy and back on track soon. You know what? I I almost have started to loathe the word normal. Yeah. Um, because I don't know what that word means anymore. Because right. like you and I are saying, a normal work day, I don't know what that looks like anymore. Yeah. A normal interaction with my friends, I don't know what that looks like. Um, I think there's a lot of work to be done. And I think for me, focusing on normal is almost like too lofty of a goal and too much right. for my brain to comprehend. So I'm like... Can I go out to dinner with my husband? Right. Can I take, can I send my kids back to, I'm trying to retrain my brain to focus on smaller attainable goals, glimmers of hope, because I love to see the big picture and see everything in the way to get to that, the big thing I'm looking for. But that's been taken away from me. And I feel like everyone's been flying blind. So I'm trying to focus on the smaller things I can see, I can count on. I can hope for because that's the only way I've kept my sanity. And I mean, if you haven't had an anxiety attack in the last 14 months, I mean, what? (laughs) Well, I think, I think that's what I really feel for 
families with older kids too, because you and I both live in the South and there are people who are completely living their lives like we're not in a pandemic whatsoever. And if you have older kids and you're being super conscientious about what's going on, have I think having to share with them, like, yes, there are some people doing this and we're not, that's got to be super challenging. Um, oh, for sure. I mean, we've, but I mean, we've had to make super tough calls to be like, I'm sorry, you can't come around or you can't do this yeah. or you chose to do this. So therefore we can't see you today. Yeah. I mean, I have learned with my kids and as your son gets older, the thing I hate more than anything, disappoint me all day. Right. But don't you dare disappoint my kid. Right. And so I have tried to almost until we are in the moment of like getting in the car or someone's entering the house, I have tried to, I almost have to like keep those secrets because I'm like, if something comes up and I have to disappoint them because of somebody else or a situation or something out of my control, I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. So, so true. we just, we wait until it's there. And again, I have tried to try to remove myself from being like, Oh, I'm going to plan this thing in advance. And I'm like, you can't plan anything in advance. Stop it. <laughs> no, you really just have to roll with everything. And you're right. Like we're going to get stuck back in little pieces. Like you might be able to like go to dinner with your husband, but maybe not your friends because they're not on the same plan as you, you know, right. it's going right. to be all things at a time, you know, and, and we haven't had, I mean, we haven't had concerts in a, over a year and it's like, we probably won't have that for a little while back either. So, well, I say it on the air almost every day that one of the things I'm so grateful that was not canceled in 2020 was music and music yeah. being released. So yeah. I'm so thankful that so many artists, because they have probably had the most downtime they've had in a, in a very, very, very long time. They're actually producing more music than ever. And I am so thankful for that and thankful for you to keep pushing along and doing what you do, because I know your job is hard. I know especially your job is hard as a younger female. And I'm so glad that you got to join the podcast today. You're one of those people that I'm like, in like six months from now, can we podcast again and see how far we've come, hopefully? And I'm sure there'll be more stories for us to tell because I really feel like you and I could probably talk for hours about all this stuff, but yeah. I know we don't have time for that. So I will let you go. But I just wanted to say, Jenny, you're amazing. And I'm so glad we met through our, our work paths seven years ago. And now we're both raising tiny humans that are the exact same age as one another. And you're just wonderful. Yes, you are too, Sarah. Thank you for having me. It's an honor and I have mad respect for you and you crush it in your job every day and as a mom of three. Three is a lot, um, but you're doing so great. So hang in there. We'll all get through this and, you know, we just got to stay positive. Thank you for listening to That Mom Life Podcast. Subscribe now and leave a rating.